millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What an absolutely incredible weekend of motorcycle racing we have had here on Eurosport. Greg Haynes here and welcome to the Full Throttle podcast for Monday the 10th of August 2020. Coming up in the show today, we have James Hayden and we also have 93-time World Superbike race winner and already a five-time world champion in Jonathan Ray. That's all coming up in the next few moments. But first of all, we join Julian Ryder. Welcome along to the first full throttle podcast of the BSB season for 2020. But we're going to start with World Superbikes because it's Greg Haynes here, joined by Julian Ryder. Julian, first of all, what a great weekend for World Superbikes. And if somebody looked at the results, they think, oh, one winner, Johnny Ray has won them all again. But that is absolutely not the case, is it? Great victories and very unpredictable, generally speaking, further down the field. Absolutely, Greg. I mean, Johnny was imperious. There's no question about it. He, he, um, he, as we said in commentary, he had a plan, put the hammer down right, right from the start, get himself a manageable gap, and then ride to his pit board, if you like. Uh, he knew the Ducatis would, <laughs> by which we mean specifically Scott Redding at the moment, uh, would suffer, and they duly did. And uh, Johnny had a plan. He worked it. Clean sweep. Yeah, he just manages a race weekend so well, doesn't he? And we'll hear from Jonathan in a moment because I've just got off the phone with Jonathan and also with James Hayden. We had a chat with James about VSB and all the drama that's happened there. But um, as I said to Jonathan, and we'll hear it in the interview, I know in previous seasons they've focused on whether it was Tom Sykes or Chas Davis, whoever his closest rival was. I still think, and I'll admit, you know, as a journalist, a commentator, I'm bigging up the Reading thing. You're bigging it up. But at the same time, I think we genuinely believe Reading will be the closest rival this year. So. I don't know whether it's still too early for them to focus on only Reading or not. What's your opinion? No, I mean, I would say, and I said it as soon as Scott signed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'd had a year on the Ducati, he'd won BSB. Um, of course he was going to be quick. You know, youngest ever Grand Prix winner in his time, Grand Prix winner in two classes, uh, Rostrum finisher in... Motor Grand Prix. You mm. know, you'd have to be pretty obtuse not to realise that Scott Redding um, knew knows how to not just go fast, but he can manage a race, manage a situation. He can cope with stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah, I've always said Jonathan Ray is the smartest rider in the field, and I would put Reading on par with Jonathan Ray now because they're both very much the thinking man, aren't they? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, people get conned by Scott's sort of slightly uh, mm. goofy attitude to life, appearance, dress, haircuts, yes. you know. Yeah, yeah. Looking a bit more stylish nowadays, I think, as if I'm a fashion guru. And, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, and that sort of conned a lot of people into underestimating Scott Redding. Yeah, but he knows. He likes to put that on, doesn't he? As you say, he knows he looks like a lunatic. He likes to behave like a lunatic every now and again, but he's far from it. He's a very, very smart, well-spoken guy, isn't he? He's, he's, a, clever, he's a clever bloke. I mean, I, I remember having a conversation in the pit lane at Bruno when the Monday test was held up. In fact, it was the year that John McPhee won his Moto3 race. Uh, and Scott lectured me and a couple of other people on race management and, you know, about you've got to process this stuff, you've got to deal with it, get it out of your thinking. And then you go to, the, you know, and it was really, it was a real thinking man's uh, approach to things. And he was he, he was entertaining. He was saying, if John had managed to fall off, you know, having that near high side, I'd have gone down there and ripped his head off. Ah, oh, really, really, yeah. <laughs> because by by now you should have. And he was, you know, going through effectively the the psychology of it. He said that to me, Jules, at the Hereth preseason test this year for World Superbikes. We were talking about Bautista last year, and he said, "I can't believe it." He said, "I was so angry for Ducati." Because he said he had both hands on the title, but he had soap on his hands. It was a great quote from Scott Reddick. And it's true, isn't it? Because as, as fantastic as Jonathan Ray and Kawasaki were last year with all of those second places, and it was incredible. It was so difficult for them. It was amazing. But Bautista threw it away last year, didn't he? And Reddick was furious about that from yeah, a Ducati yeah, point of view. Exactly the sort of thing that would really annoy Scott. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Ray and Kawasaki last year were a brilliant example of mental toughness. Oh, for sure. Mm. You know, about not letting the overwhelming odds, the situation, stop you from doing your best. Mm. We will still do our best. And if that best is second place, hey, you know, off we continue to rack up the points. And it worked. Mm. Well, the World Superbike teams are heading to Aragon Thursday and Friday next week for a test. So that'll be interesting. Kawasaki is going to be there. Ruba Ducati, Pata Yamaha, HRC, and some of the other in independent teams as well. But... Um, yeah, this has been vital, hasn't it, for Jonathan Ray? Although I have to think at the same time, he's still going to be up there. He's good as well in Aragon. It's not just all about the Ducatis, is it? I don't think it's going to be easy, but you'd expect him on the podium, I think it's fair to say? I think so. I think so. I, I think, frankly, Redding and Ray are head and shoulders. Yeah, the men who don't make mistakes. Everyone else in that field, as we saw today, is capable of mistakes. In fact, we'll hear about that in a moment with Jonathan. That's the thing, isn't it? Everyone's, you know, if Rinaldi's ahead of Jonathan in a race, it doesn't really matter, does it? If um, if Chaz Davis even is ahead, maybe it's a bit too early to say that about Chaz. But uh, Chaz's situation is he's just never got on with his Panigale. Mm, that's, mm. that's it. Yeah. But yeah, you do not, you know, if Jonathan Ray actually makes a mistake, we remember it all year because they are so, so rare. Yes. And Scott Redding is, Nearly, the, nearly up there with him in that as well. And I must admit, I've not done the maths yet because since we've come off air, it's been busy with lots of other things. But as far as I'm aware, I think, and if it's not one point, it's very close to it. 
if you add together, and I said it in commentary, add together the number of points that Reading and Ray have scored over Jerez and Portimao, and I think they're only one more point apart than they were after Australia. It's something like that. They've almost cancelled each other out the last two weekends. Reading dominated Jerez and took full advantage. While Ray had a struggle. Did the same this weekend for Portimao. And as you say, Greg, the result is equality. Yeah, although the only thing that has changed, of course, is that, as you've just said, Jules, everyone else has fallen back a bit. It's exactly what we've sort of predicted all year, isn't it, so far? But I don't think it's rocket science. No. Yeah, I think we're getting what we expected because there's one thing we know about in Supermarket it is Johnny Ray is absolutely the benchmark, the standard. Um, is he the best superbike rider ever? Well, he's the best of the modern era, shall we put it that way? Uh, and you're going to take somebody. And I, we, we all said at the start of the season, Scott Redding will win races. The question is, can he beat Johnny over a championship? Mm. Uh, and we don't know. I mean, uh, Johnny, in much the way that uh, several riders used to look forward to Valencia because they knew that uh, Valentino Rossi hated the place. <laughs> um, and it had never been, it was never kind to him. You know, Scott would not enjoy the thought of the last round being at Magni Coeur. Mm, mm. And I know Jonathan is, if that is the last round, we'll hear that in a minute. I've just put that question to him. In fact, let's listen. Let's listen now. I've just spoken to Jonathan um, just before he was about to go out for a meal. So it was good of him to spare, uh, spare us the time. Here he is, Jonathan Ray, just a few minutes ago on the phone, uh, just about two hours after winning that race. Jonathan, congratulations. As we know, they're all important, but that was a particularly important weekend for the championship this year because it feels very varied this year. So great to get 62 points in one weekend. Yeah, I mean, that's the key. They're all important. Um, you know, just we had really disappointed now when we look back at Jerez. I felt like that weekend we could have capitalised a bit more had it not been for race two. But coming here, I felt, to be honest, I felt a bit of a fish out of water in FP1. I wasn't riding the bike good. Um, you know, felt difficult out there. We hadn't, we didn't come here in winter testing and, and, you know, watching from afar, everyone else turning laps frustrated me. So, um, I don't know if that was playing on my mind in FP1, but we, we got there and it was, it was clear from FP2 and even at the end of FP1, you know, looking through the lap by lap and the chronological analysis that we, we had a pace after 10 laps that, you know, we could sustain and I could be quite, um, constant, which is important for the race. We always have some tire drop at this race. And um, I mean, that was the key, you know, not just today, but also in yesterday's race one um, that, you know, in the last five laps, you know, had there been a response, you know, that we would have an an answers for it. And um, yeah, it was, it was nice. You know, it's important to, to capitalize where we know we can be strong and then try to do the best we can in places where we've been struggling. And do you sort of break the race down in your head, Jonathan? Because obviously you've got to get off the start and then we can see quite clearly you put the really put the hammer down to create a gap to be able to try and control things. Then you mentioned over the weekend you can change electronic settings to try and look after the rear tyre. So are you just going through all these phases? Is that sort of how the race works? Well, it's <laughs> you just got to break it how, how you're working during the weekend. And it's not track-to-track track strategies don't change, but... Um, you know, how the weekend pans out. And it seemed like that this weekend, it was incredible. You know, as a rider, you know, to be able to respond to someone catching you or just 
keep increasing the gap. It's not normal. So, you know, to have that means I really wanted to make the pace strong in the beginning because I knew that, you know, if I was riding at 99%, the rest were going to have to be, you know, over the limit, you know, just to be there. And that was important because then, you know, when that sort of elastic band broke, I was able to ride to my pit board. So, you know, if weekends came like that, all the time it would be an incredible feeling so we've got to take that one while we can and and realize that week this weekend was for us but um also that strategy especially with ducati now having such a high top speed uh, on the straight and acceleration areas it's important to be in the last lap with a gap uh at least a small gap because um you know going down the straights you don't want to just pointlessly lose the a position if you're not pushing at the start so um yeah i mean we stuck to the plan and um you know them them five lap attacks when you could work out in the end and obviously you don't want anyone to have a bad time you don't like to see anyone suffering but from a championship point point of view it has been particularly good for you hasn't it because you've been up there toprax had two seconds scott's been up there michael but they're all sort of taking points off each other at times aren't they which has got to be a good thing for you well, it's the same for everyone. You know, in Australia, I had my bad weekend with a crash in race one. Everyone else took benefit of that. And in Jerez, we had a we had an issue in race two, and I I dropped out of contention. So um, I feel like this year is just swinging and roundabouts. I really feel like in you know a guy that should be there and will be there is Vandermark. He's been riding really good, and you know maybe his weekend can be in in Motorland or Barcelona or Manicur, wherever, but we, we've got to go in with that frame of mind that we've got to maximize every weekend. And, um, and yeah, let's see, play it by ear because, um, you know, top back's been strong. You know, Scott's been very constant as well. Um, so, yeah, it's just about picking up the points at this stage. I mean, we're not even halfway on the, the projected uh, championship, but with all the rounds to, to be confirmed or... Um, and also following the evolution of the pandemic, you know, it's important. And I said it after Jerez, it's really important to lead the championship as early as possible because we don't know what happens tomorrow. We're racing in a motorcycle sport that it's not really relevant to the the global crisis that's going on right now. And, um, you know, should things shut down, it's important to lead the championship. So um, that's kind of the, the mentality we had this weekend. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. It's a bit like making sure you're first over the line every lap past two-thirds distance, isn't it? Just to make sure in case it does all stop, you are ahead. A little bit like that. But, um, I mean, I'm, Dorna have been doing an incredible job with the circuits to, to get us here. I mean, the I'm staying inside the motorhome, but, you know, just to let you know, we have to we have to check in every morning before 9 a.m. at, like, a temperature control to try and monitor every every person sitting staying inside the circuit as well as coming from outside so um and masks are compulsory everywhere so they're doing everything they can with the local authorities to make sure we get racing which is great but um you know at the end of the day you know you only have to switch on the news to realize that um you know it's tough out there for everyone and the most important thing is people's health and safety so our championship will follow that. and um, But right now, as a rider, of course, I'm focusing on, we have a test in Aragon this week and also, um, you know, Aragon in two weeks. So that's, that's where the focus will be. Yeah, and 
where is the focus going to be in particular for the test? Because ordinarily, I would say I'd expect Chaz to go well there or the Ducati to go well there with the long straight. But like you say, things do keep changing this year, don't they? But is there any particular area you want to focus on for that test? You know, I've been on the podium at Aragon now so many times. I feel like it's a good track for us. It suits the bike well as well because these hard brakings and also accelerations from first and second gear our mechanical traction is really good and I feel like we can try to capitalize on that. Of course, there's a long straight where we might suffer, but fortunately, um, you know, the track made up in lots of corners and um, the test will be a good opportunity to try some new items. We have some new chassis items to try and try and give us a better feeling. And I felt like at Montmelo test and in Misano test and also here in, and also in Jerez, if I forget race two, in Jerez and also in um, uh, Portima, we've been almost the strongest at the end of races, which means we've made a huge step with you know the ZX10RR at the end of races in these hot conditions because it's sort of no secret that our bike in the past has favoured the cooler um, cooler temperatures. We've been able to get the best out of the tyre in cooler conditions, but you know here and um, you know the last you know this part of the year has been good for us this year. So our new base setup's working pretty good. And did you get to the bottom, Johnny? Are you satisfied with understanding now what did go wrong in Jerez? Because it, it was strange, wasn't it? You know, we're not used to seeing you drop back to sixth. I guess the field's closer this year, but it was a, an odd race, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very odd. You know, right, I mean, right from the get-go, I knew that um, I was sitting duck. And very clear on the data, the issue is just something I can't talk about. <laughs> Fair enough, okay. But at least you, you guys understand, so you must be quite confident then in you know, not being too worried about whatever it was might happen again. Yeah, I mean, not, you can never be, you can't, you can't be confident in this championship, you know, because there's so many fast guys. Um, and, you know, just like I said before, it's uh, you just got to do the best job we can every race. It was a shame and harass. To, you know, I just really couldn't fight and do what I wanted to do. I was so encouraging in race one to be able to, you know, fight until the last lap with Scott. And, in a track where it hasn't been great for us. Um, so, yeah, just do what we can do, really. And, um, I mean, we're still not even halfway yet, so just um, I expect a lot more twists and turns before the end. Yeah, and in the past, obviously, I know you guys have, sometimes you'll focus on Tom, if Tom was the closest rival, or, or Chaz. But at the moment, like you say, we're not really far enough into the championship, are we, to focus? Although, let's be honest, people like me and other media people are bigging up Reading, you know, like you said this weekend, Toprak's there, Vandermark's there. You can't really focus on one guy, can you, at the moment? Is it still a bit too soon to do that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was clear last year where the, you know, Alvaro beat us pretty hands down um, in the first 10 races of the year, 11 races of the year. So it was clear the guy that we needed to, like, to hunt, you know, chase down on the championship. So, I mean, this year, like you said, there's so many people taking points off each other. Um, and I, I said it before the start of the year, I expected, I didn't expect heaps and heaps of race winners this year, but I knew there'd be lots of different guys in the podium each and every weekend. And, um, you know, you could win a, like, like me in uh, Jerez, you can win a race and then you can be off the podium. Um, and that, you know, it's important to try and, you know, bank them race wins because they're the big points and the difference between first and second is five points. And, but yeah, just doing your best. It's not, it's not like uh, you can control everything. It's just getting the best out of the team and the bike every weekend. 
Yeah, I mean, that's 93. I know some of the, obviously, you've got the short races now as well, but even so, 93 career wins now, Jonathan. It's been an amazing few years, hasn't it? Can you quite believe it? 93 wins. It's nuts. You know, when I, I accessed in a tweet yesterday, I think the team put a, you know, like a celebratory tweet out that we had 150 Kawasaki um, wins. And that was, when you start thinking like that, I thought we should we should at least have a cake in the team or, you know, blow out some candles or something. It's a pretty big milestone. But, um, yeah, that, I mean, that would be, it was a little target I had this year, tried to take 100 wins, but with a shortened season, it's going to be very difficult. But, um, I mean, that would be, wow, man, I would definitely have a bit of a party in the motorhome that night. Yeah, I bet you would, because that, <laughs> if you do, and if and when you do, and I'm sure you will, that one's not going to be beaten for quite a long time, if ever, is it? 100 uh, individual race wins but you've got to say you know sorry go ahead no i was going to say it's to be fair to guys before me and and not give too many respect to the people after it it is a bit easier in this in this era where you get three races and the super poor race is classified um so i mean you've got to take that with a pinch of salt to be fair but it's uh, it would be nice to hit a big round number yeah, that's going to be a good one, isn't it? That You have to feel that might be coming maybe next year. Let's see what happens. But you've got to say, for the good of the actual championship as a spectator, it's good this year, isn't it? You know, it's unpredictable. Four different championship leaders already. Loads of people on the podium. I think it's seven now. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. Um, like it, I sound like I keep repeating myself, but there's just so many guys out there that can do a good job on a weekend. And it's cool to see not just the factory bikes, like, but, you know... Ronaldo's been doing well at Ducati, you know, faster than the factory guys in some sessions and races, and Loris Baz as well at Yamaha and the satellite bikes. It's not just the factories. Um, you know, Tom at BMW being strong. Um, you, you know, just, I mean, Honda are going to find their feet at some point. So it's, um, yeah, it's, Superbike's in a great place right now with all the, the manufacturer support and the racing being unpredictable. So it's um, pretty cool. Just before we go, Jonathan, looking at the calendar as it is, obviously there's lots of talk about Esther Real maybe coming in somewhere towards the end. We don't yet know for sure, but you must be quite pleased deep down as well, though, that Magni Core, which is one of your really good circuits in the cooler weather, is towards the end. That can't be a bad thing, can it? Well, no, it's um, it's a good one for us. Um, but, you know, it would just be really nice to confirm things because there's nothing worse than... Um, not really knowing how to approach the championship, how many rounds are left. And of course, I'm sure day by day, things will become clearer. But um, yeah, right now, um, yeah, I don't really know what's confirmed or not. I know that you know the two Aragon races, Montmelo and Manica are, are pretty set and some question marks over, over the rest. So let's see, um, let's see what we actually get. But we sort of, you need to know, you know, weeks in advance going in, you know, there'd be nothing worse than, um, going to the last round of the championship and with one one round to go and then the championship gets called if you like but um, yeah I, I've got to repeat myself the, the organisers and, and the tracks are doing a phenomenal job just to get us out there and it was cool this weekend to at least have you know there was a few spectators around the tower and also in one segment of the grandstand so um, it was nice to see some people and at least when you stand in the podium there was a little bit of background noise yeah, just a couple more things, Jonathan. One of them was going to be about the fans, actually, because we normally have a massive contingent of Northern Irish fans for you, don't we, in the grandstand? And like you say, it was nice to see 250 people allowed in, but 
it is weird, isn't it, not having the fans there, especially Portimao, which is normally full of Northern Irish fans. Yeah, it's super weird. I'm so grateful for the support I've been getting here in the last years. And, um, it's, it, yeah, it is what it is. But, I mean, like, it's just so important that we we promote, you know, safety and we're doing things in the right way and looking after people because that's the bigger deal. But, um, you know, I'm not even that into other sports, but I miss even football on TV. So when I was during lockdown, so it's even cool that we're, you know, we're able to, at least the fans get to watch something on TV now. Um, but I really miss them all at the track. I miss the atmosphere and buzz during a race weekend. And um, but hopefully we can get back to that not too not too distant future. Final thing, Johnny, talking about getting back. What happens with you now? Because there's still a quarantine in place, isn't there? So can you get home, or what's going to happen now between here and Aragon? Well, no, I'm in. Uh, I'm testing in Motherland end of the week, and then. Um, of course you are. Yeah, of course. And then I'll return home for a week and a bit, and then leave for. Aragon race, so it'll be just inside the the quarantine. But as regulations say, I can leave the country again. It just means probably when I'm home that I have to to isolate a little bit. But I think there's some dispensation for elite sports people or people that have to travel for work. So um, I think uh, there's some paperwork that I'll have and should should ease the the travel passage. Okay, good. Well, hopefully for everybody's sake, uh, as long as it's safe, the quarantine might be reduced soon anyway. But we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? It's sort of living day by day for all of us. Johnny, thanks very much. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to say thanks a lot. Okay, yeah, Rita. I really appreciate it. And uh, well done again. It's been a great weekend. Well, there we go, Jules. He's sounding, as you would imagine, very pleased with himself, isn't he? After a fantastic weekend, 62 points. Um, And again, he'll just manage the situation now. He said also in the interview there um, that he now fully understands what happened in Jerez last week. He said he can't really tell us at the moment, but he's fully confident that he fully understands now what did go wrong. So that's brought him a lot more confidence, I think. And the interesting thing is that from the way the Ducatis were going in the second uh, full the full length race today, mm. you get the impression that the Ducati started to understand what was going wrong as well. Uh, yeah, this morning and Saturday. And again, that I suppose that's um, another strength of of those top riders in these teams, isn't it? They're they're hitting trouble, but they're coming. It's great, actually. I mean, we really have got a great season, haven't we? Talking of great seasons, let's quickly talk about MotoGP. Because I know you've been following that closely across the day. Now, I must admit, at this point, Sunday evening, I've not seen too much of it. I've heard more or less what's happened. What on earth has happened there, Jules, at Bruno? And how has it happened? It's... Honda has... <laughs> Honda's reliance on Mark Marquez has finally been... Yeah, yeah. ...laid bare. We, we've said this, haven't we, in the past? We, I'm not trying to be clever here, but people have always said, if... God forbid anything happens and he gets hurt. What are they going to do? And it's happened. It's happened. Crutchlow's got an injured scaphoid. Mm. You can't expect to, you know, him to do much. Younger Marquez is a rookie and we know he's a slow learner. Mm. And Nakagami can't qualify. He can race and he really makes progress in the race, but qualifying seems to be Nakagami's problem at the moment. 
Um, so they've got, you know, they have trouble. Suzuki's main man, Alex Rins, is injured because I'd have really fancied Rins for this uh, weekend if he hadn't got basically yeah. an arm at the moment. Yeah, yeah. He still came within a bike length of the rostrum. Um, Yamaha factory team. I mean, one of the big surprises this weekend is how bloody awful Vinales was. Mm. This does happen with Maverick sometimes, though, doesn't it? But I'm hearing Scott Redding in my head. He should have processed this. He should have got it out of his repertoire by now. Mm. Should have understood why this happened. Dealt with it, you know? And then hasn't. What about the factory Ducati team as well? I mean, what on earth is going on? You tell me. I mean, when you get a third-tier Ducati setting pole and getting on the podium, <laughs> and by the way, race direction made an awful call and gave Zarco a long lap penalty. Now, this was for the incident with Paul Spargo, isn't it? And I know Casey Stone has been very outspoken on Twitter about this. He agrees with you, what you've just said there. Well, I think everybody agrees with Casey on, on it, the racing incident, except Paul Spargo, obviously. will never have a... A very different view. The long lap penalty at Breno is turn seven round the outside of a long left-hander. So it's out in the, you know, it's it's literally the outside of the corner. So that's turn seven. So let me just get this in my head. So that's up towards the stadium, isn't it? Around the stadium section. Yeah. Okay. And it's a, it's a long left-hander. Okay. Yeah. I think it's seven. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it's dusty, muck and bullets everywhere. Out there, just like Zarco rode it with his wheels basically on the white line and his knee on the ground inside the white line. I <laughs> did not lose a position. Oh, it, really? I've got, I can't wait to see that later. You've ever seen. Wow, he is impressive, isn't he? I mean, let's remember that's the Avintia team that took pole position. No disrespect to the Avintia team, but they're not the sort of team you would expect to be on pole position in the dry at Bruno. Isn't that there for the Ducati that Jorge Lorenzo basically developed? <laughs> it's not very good, though, for the factory team, is it? It's I mean, awful. it's a little bit embarrassing, isn't it? It's Jules? awful. But what's going on? Are they not getting on with the new 2020 Michelins? Or, or you know, what's the Some, problem? Th- th- there is something there, yes. Mm, mm. Um, but, you know, if I could answer that, I'd be a much richer man than I uh, <laughs> am, basically. But it's a, a Ducati, you sort of have this sort of strange habit of managing to be looking like everything's laid out for them to win the championship this year you know in the meet in the meantime though i'm, I'm thinking of people in, in my head here like uh corky ballington and john eckerold and alan north who raced back in the day the south africans brad binders won a moto gp race and so far this year we've only had winners who had never won before and made it look easy mm. and it kept- made it look incredible and did you tell me earlier on it's the first time since, is it 74 that we haven't had a Japanese or an Italian bike winning a Premier Class race? 73. 73. I think I got it wrong. I pulled that number out the end of my thumb. Wow. So it's even soon, even earlier. Okay. And th- that was the Koenig with a New Zealander on it, Kim, Kim ah, Newcomb. Ah, yep. Yep. Um, uh, so, it, you know, history, steel frame, steel frame bike, you know, WP yeah. and not Olin's. Wow. Wow. What is going on, folks? At Bruno, of all places as well. In the dry, in the dry. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's a bit of a motocross track. It is bumpy. Mm, It will need mm. sorting out. Uh, Much as I think Portomayo will will need a bit as well, because it was uh, 
I think a Moto Grand Prix bike on those bumps at the moment would be a bit, you know, the stiffest <laughs> yeah. motorcycles would be would not be a good idea. Well, I think we're going to find out, aren't we, later in the year? We're just waiting for a confirmation. But well, let's have a quick catch-up on BSB because I've just spoken with James Hayden as well, Jules, before I've uh, caught up with you. So here's the latest from James Hayden and some pretty strong opinions, actually, on the man who leads the British Superbike Championship at the moment. Well, James, you're on the road on your hands free on the way home. What a good weekend. It was nice to see everyone back on screen and what an unpredictable start to the year. Yeah, it was, do you know what? It was absolutely lovely. Um, you know, we had a, a great laugh. You know, great to see the whole team and, you know, get us all together again. And uh, but more importantly, you know, the weather was great and the racing was just brilliant. I mean, so many surprises. It was it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was. I mean, who would have predicted a Honda 1-2 at the start of the season? Well, I know. And, uh, you know, they, it's funny because obviously we've seen the, the Hondas in World Superbike and they're struggling with their electronics and their power a little bit. But the, uh, the Hondas over here were just, you know, with Donington. You get your bike working at Donington, it pretty much works everywhere because Donington's got fast, it's got slow, it's got smooth, it's got bumps, it's got, you know, hills, it's, you know, it's a really good test track. So I think that was a, an exceptional showing from them. And, and you thought, God, was that a sort of a one-off? But, you know, for Andrew Irwin, leading the championship, two wins in the second, you know, his brother got two seconds in the third. It's an incredible start then for the, for the Honda also to win the, the Superdog Thousands yesterday. It was an incredible start and, uh, and, and really unexpected. Yeah, everyone was looking at the Ducatis and uh, I know Bob Bridewell had a brilliant bike in that last race of the day, winning that. But it's really topsy-turvy, and everyone's sort of championship favourite, Josh Brooks, has, you know, not really been at a disappointing, you know, race one and race two to his high standards. And then that awful accident, um, you know, with him and Irwin in that last race. And, um, you know, I think that one's... I haven't heard that the result of that was still not decided. I've just got in my car and, and left because they were waiting for, for a result. But, um... Yeah, that was the only sort of, you know, there was a few black marks for the weekend, but, but that was, a, you know, a nasty thing and, and unnecessary. So we'll have to see how that one ends up. But uh, but also tight racing, great racing throughout the classes. We were to have no crowd, obviously. But yeah, I know you've been used to that in World Superbikes, but yeah, that was a, a strange one. Although it was nice to be able to get in your car and, and drive straight out. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the only good things about it, isn't it? But yeah, like you say, James, it's 10 to 7 local time. Um, what was your take, whatever the outtake is from Stuart Higgs and Roger Marshall and race direction there, what was your take on that incident? Luckily, Josh Brooks is okay, of course. Uh, there's no, I mean, when we do a little bit on Eurosport, we'd only seen it twice, um, but I've seen it quite a lot since then, seen it in slow motion. And to be honest, it's too far to pass. He was 
he was in his blind spot. And I just don't think it's safe to do that. You know, I think that, you know, yeah, I think you've got to, you've got to give someone benefit. You know, there it's too fast, too dangerous, and I just think in a couple of times we've just seen him be so aggressive, and it's like he's trying to prove he's the man. Don't mess with me. And it's one thing to be. Uh, it's another thing when you cross that boundary to, to being dangerous. And I, and I think that, you know, I think he's got that boundary a bit wrong at the moment. And what's he going to do? Seriously hurt someone? Kill someone? To, to, to get a, you know, to, to get, I don't know where you go. They've already given him points on his license a few times. What does he need? Does he need a band? Does he need a, you know, I think it's, I just don't think it's, I just don't think it's good. I, I think he's such a good rider. He doesn't need to ride like that. He doesn't need to do that. And at the end of the day, that's not a place where you pass unless it's super, super, your ball is in front and it's clean, it's easy. You can't do a pretty pass there. And that's what he did. And that's not good enough for a top professional. And obviously, there was that moment in uh, round, as they're now known, two as well, coming through the chicane at Goddard's at the end of the lap. Jason O'Halloran was pretty annoyed, wasn't he, that he had to back out of the throttle and he lost momentum. Can you understand Jason's frustration there? Yeah. Yeah, when he stood his brother up and, yeah, he's a hard rider, I get that. I mean, that one I didn't, you know, I didn't have so much problems with. He's coming late, he's coming hard. But, you know, he's lifted his brother up and he's forced him onto the green section. So you can't really blame Glenn for going on that. You know, he didn't really have any choice. And but I understand Jason's frustration because he thought, well, he's on there. You know, I don't need to worry because he's exceeded track limits. But, you know, with that one, I think Jason could have equally thought that he's going to run wide. I need to square it off cars and eat him and, and beat him to the line rather than rely on, on him exceeding track limits. So, that one, I, that one I can kind of, I could let slip. But the one with Josh Brooks, uh, if I had Brooks, I would be absolutely livid. And, you know, I'd have been going around there and, uh, you know, I, I'd have been very, very unhappy. Um, you know, so, you know, and you can only look at it through your own eyes. And, you know, don't just, but he didn't need to do it there. That's the point. He could have done it the old airplane. He could have done it. He was excellent. He could have waited till later on the lap. Done it on the um, you know, done it at the S's where he was exceptional. So, you know, I think that's a, unfortunately it's another big black mark against him. And I really like him. I think he's a great rider. He's a, a nice chap. But you know, he's got to work on that bit of his riding because you know, uh, I just don't. It's such a dangerous sport anyway. So the last thing you need is someone making it even more dangerous. Well, whatever the outcome is with that, James, you have to think the Hondas are going to be strong again, aren't they, when we get to Snetterton in two weeks' time because they've always gone well at Snetterton anyway and now they've got a really amazing motorbike. Well, without that, they're going to be strong. I mean, those bikes are working really, really well. If they work at Donington, they work anywhere, as I say. You know, you've got so much, so many different aspects to those circuits that, you know, they really do, you know, it's, it's a great test track. And it's great for learning. So I think that's a, you know, I think it bodes really well for the Hondas. I, I think we're going to see some fireworks. You know, I think it's going to be interesting to to see how that evolves. I mean, Donington, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a great track for for close racing. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Glenn and and his brother evolve as these races go on. But um, but a great start to the season. We mustn't dwell on that. On the negative, you know, I think that the fact is 
so many bikes competitive. You know, Alan's up there on the Yamaha. You know, Carl Ross up there on Suzuki. Had he not had a stone to his radiator, he might have got on the podium. We've seen the Ducati win one. We've seen the, the new Hondas win one. You know, so we've, we've seen a real good balance. Yeah, Buckle on the Kawasaki. So, it, yeah, the BMWs, we've seen a very good mix of... Uh, Mixed of motorcycles, we've seen a very good mix of riders, and um, yeah, I think that it, it bodes really well for, for a great season of racing. Well, there we go. Um, I don't know whether you've seen it, Jules, the collision that happened between Josh Brooks and Andrew Irwin, and James basically just saying there he loves Andrew Irwin as a guy, but he just thinks that was out of order, really, and unnecessary and, and dangerous. Uh, I Obviously, I, I never raced at any level near what these guys do but I, I think Jack Burnicle said it in commentary and he said with that disclaimer I didn't do this but that looked dodgy that's exactly what I thought on that part top of Craner curves you don't you know no you don't really pass there do you no no not really I mean I'm the same as you I don't even ride a bike as you know but having watched many 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 races over the years you don't Unless someone's had a problem coming out of Redgate and has backed off, you don't pass that Hollywood, do you? Gone wrong. It, yeah, racing into yeah. discover it was actually a racing into. Yeah, Brooksy clearly I, didn't expect it, did he? He never ever would have expected that move to be made there. And don't get me wrong, by the way, I I think Andrew Warren's a fantastic guy, and he's one of the best guys to talk to that we've ever had on the podcast. And he's a very exciting racer, isn't he? And he's quick, and he and we've seen what he can do. I mean, look at the weekend he's had, but yeah, it's just been a bit uh, maybe flawed at the moment is that the right word is that fair i i think all it is and i've heard this about races over the years you know where people have have used the d word and you think oh (laughs) you know everybody's always said whenever he heard somebody who you know was dangerous is it's bricked up (laughs) so um it's yeah it's just if he was a cricketer, you'd say the shot selection needs a bit of, uh, bit of uh, you know. It, it's just, yeah, there is an, just a milliseconds more thought. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? Because this is, you know, this sport of ours is dangerous enough at the best of times, isn't it? So you don't need that uncertainty, I guess, do you, if you're racing around someone and you're always sort of second-guessing that they might do something dodgy like that? Well, that is basically the point, I think, Greg. That, and it was, and the movie, you know, the move itself, if you like, it was quick, but that's fine. There were places where you absolutely expect that to happen, but top of Craner curves. Don't see how that works. You know, I don't see what you think you're going to do there. Cleanly. Yeah. Even so, though, I mean, even so, though, from a Honda point of view, and we were talking about this off air, weren't we, when we were doing the World Superbike commentary this weekend, Honda have had a disastrous few years in many ways, haven't they? As you mentioned in the commentary at one point, uh, I think it was earlier today, wasn't it, or yesterday? I can't quite remember now. It's all blurred into one. But, you know, they've had a disaster at the TT with the McGuinness accident, Guy Martin's accident, off the pace in BSB, off the pace, nowhere in World Superbikes. Obviously, HRC is back now. But things do go in cycles. And isn't it funny, Jules, actually? that all this great stuff's happening for Honda while Mark Marquez is sat at home watching the TV. That's ironic. It is, isn't it? You know, you could almost say that while Mark Marquez was winning Moto Grand Prix, Honda didn't actually care what was going on elsewhere, of course. And to a certain extent, that's true. 
And I remember an HRC engineer many years ago asked about not just world super, not just superbike, but production bike racing. And his um, rather scathing reply, scathing as a Japanese gets, was, why ask questions you know the answers to? Which is, <laughs> you know, which is, uh, you know yeah. quite... <laughs> it's a good one, actually. It's, Honda's a funny company, though, aren't they? Because, as we know, the Japanese... Uh... The Japanese way of doing things, they're very set in their ways. And I mean that in the best possible way. But I remember remember through the 80s, for example, they'd, they'd win a title and then they'd try and do something outrageous the next year and it wouldn't work. And then they'd maybe go a bit too conservative. <laughs> it would come back the other way because all those titles through the 80s, it was almost, almost without exception, Honda, Yamaha, Honda, Yamaha, all the way through the 80s. And it's still quite like that now in a way. And there is still within Honda, the uh, the concept of racing, it's, it's too... Um... Get your engineers work, you know, speed learning for your bright young boys. You know, there's a problem, solve it tomorrow. You know, and it, you know, if you can deal with that, you're going to be useful. Interesting. Okay. A bit like the way they, they treat the riders, I guess, as well, in some it, ways, isn't it? It's that, that way, but it's not, it's not just mm. about what happens on the racetrack. You know, there's other stuff right. going on yeah. Yeah. that, that uh, they care about. Right. Okay. Uh, HRC itself might be a bit more pure racing, but Honda Motor Company probably has a slightly more uh, "what use is this to us?" and blah blah. blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, of course, for anyone who's listening for the first time, the largest motor corporation in the world. By the way, Jules, I had a quick chat with Tom Booth Amos after the race. Oh, yes. um, I, I get the feeling he was concussed. He sounded in his voice message very dazed and confused. He was in the airport on oh. his way home. But uh, he, said, I, he said, I don't know what happened. He said, I can't remember. Um, there was contact on the start finish straight with Yuta Akaya, wasn't there? And my personal feeling is, I don't know, but I don't know whether his front brake jammed on perhaps because his rear end came right round at turn four. The worrying thing is he said he did bang his head really hard. Um, apart from that, though, he's a very exciting to watch and could be the Supersport 300 world champion this year. It's, it, it's a possibility, but this, this is a sport his finishing record, obviously. And he has got three weeks. Before, so it's not like at a Grand Prix at the moment where he's got three consecutive weekends of racing. So he can actually, hopefully go through the, re the recovery period because uh, I, I know motorcycle racing is pretty awful at their concussion protocols. Mm, yes. Yeah, and rightly so, obviously. But um, yeah, na nasty one there for Tom Booth Amos. Some superb racing, though. We've obviously seen World Super Sport as well. And hopefully we'll be working together at some point again, Jules, before the end of the season. We're all just living each day as it comes, aren't we, this year? What a, what a weird time. I think we've all had our, our fair share of going a bit stir-crazy in the lockdown, and now there's a bit more optimism in the air, but you just don't know what's going to happen one day for, for the next it's, year. It's still an odd situation, and it's still... I mean, we had, there was a COVID-19 positive test in the Grand Prix paddock, apparently, yesterday. So, again, you know, but this is, what, this is why they test so rigorously. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's gonna, uh, there are going to be positive tests, aren't there? I mean, it's happening in Formula 1 with Sergio Perez. You have to sort of... But then again, it's the response to that that matters, isn't it, then? This is exactly the point. Because certainly the Motor Grand Prix paddock at the moment, it's down to about 1,600 people, maybe mm, more. Mm, but that's 1,600 people moving around Europe. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah, th yeah, this yeah. is not a trivial matter. 
No, no, no. Of course, and they're on and off planes, and then when they're back home, they're in supermarkets and all the normal trivial things we're up to day today. But uh, oh no, absolutely, no doubt. It's it's a weird time. Before we go, Jules, slightly sad note. Um, we didn't talk about this in commentary over the weekend, but I think people would be would be pleased to hear your opinions on this and your your memories more than anything. First of all, I just need to say as well, get well soon to Shaky Burn because we know that Shaky. Uh, has been a little bit under the weather the last few days, which is why he wasn't with Matt Roberts and the other guys at um, Donington. So get well soon, Shaky. Um, Clive McNeil, though, Jules, I wanted to just chat with you about Clive. I mean, what a what a terrible shot that was just over a week ago now, the Friday before Hareth. But a, a good friend of yours and a good uh, commentary colleague of yours on endurance racing in particular. Um, no age either. Uh, 67, same as me. Uh, Clive McNeil was... Um a Eurosport commentator for decades on world endurance. And I work, I've worked with him uh, a lot recently and a bit. In fact, I remember working with him and having interaction with him when he was out in Hong Kong with Star TV many, many years ago. He was presenting uh, Grand Prix motorcycling then for the um, what became, I think, Sky Asia, but it was Star TV then. Uh, proper, real enthusiast, great music fan, very, very ex-DJ. Very knowledgeable on his music, uh, but he took a bit like myself. He turned into an endurance, but he was the endurance specialist. Uh, very well loved in the endurance paddock, very well known. And, you know, when we do Le Mans 24 Hour in a couple of weeks' time, end of August on Eurosport, we will miss him very much. I know Christoph Guillaume was really emotional about it as well. Uh, sent a tweet to me the other day. He was very moved by some of the words we put online about uh, Clive McNeil. Yes, it's going to be strange, isn't it? Um, it's, it hasn't been the best of years, let's admit. This is not a very good year, is it, generally? It, it, it's, I'm, I'm, for once, I'm happy to see to think that December is rushing towards us. But the sooner we can sign uh, 2020 to the history books, I think the, the happier the world is going to be. At least, to end on a positive note, motorcycle racing is bringing us some joy again. And with everything that's happened this weekend, with the unpredictability of MotoGP, absolutely incredible. And BSB's back. We've had Moto America in Pittsburgh. Cameron Bobbio doing well there, at least in the first race. That's the last I saw. And World Superbikes, yes, Jonathan Ray's done a treble, but he sort of had to because he's not probably not going to do another treble this year, is he? You would be very surprised if he did in Aragon or Barcelona. Yeah, Magnicor maybe, to Magnicor be fair. Magnicor might be, and this is why Scott Redding, every point Scott Redding either gains or rescues, as he did in the second race today, yes. will be gold when he gets to Magnicor. Jules, thanks very much. Uh, James Hayden was just telling us that he's not had uh, any alcohol for the last two months, so he's been on the orange juice while all the other guys have been on their Peronis over the weekend, so good for James. And congratulations to you as well with your uh, weight loss you've been telling me about. Congratulations. I, I must admit, that discipline is tremendous. About time, isn't it, that I worked on it, but, you know, realise I occasionally do you think, okay, got to be done. Just to tell everyone, what, what is it you've lost in the last few? How, how quickly did it go? One and a half stone, wasn't it? Yeah, not quickly. It's not been our, okay, gradual. I've tried this before, and I, I've had to. Uh, I can't do fads or diets. You just got to change an attitude, and it's a long term thing. So this is, you know, four months, five months, but it's uh, a stone and a half. So, so what's far. the key? What What is the key? What have you done? Just don't get the biscuits in, or <laughs> uh, I never did. Okay, I never did. It's you know, it, it just my stupidly my diet was quite good there was just too much of it 
Oh, okay. So it's just it, okay. Yeah. So you've just lowered the quantities, basically. Yeah, yeah. Does that sort of thing. Make sure you actually don't take the car to the supermarket every time. You know, but just it's it's a gradual thing. I can't. I, I you know, I'm going to do a major lifestyle change, but just a bit of tweaking and fine tuning makes so much difference. Well, there we go. I, I wasn't expecting this weekend, Jules, to be talking to you about uh, health. And uh, and fashion as well. I, I know we're experts on both, obviously. <laughs> but uh, it was—I really enjoyed the superbikes this weekend. It's uh, yeah, me too. Uh, I, I think Ray versus Redding is one of the most fascinating uh, confrontations in, in in world motorcycling at the moment, and uh, I'm convinced it'll go to the wire. Mm, well, I really hope you're right, and I must say I really enjoyed it too. Thanks for everything over the weekend, Jules. Thanks to James Whitham as well for uh, joining us, of course, in commentary on Friday, and then. Uh, in the end, there was a big turnaround. Of course, he had to get himself back to Donington because Shaky couldn't work. But yeah, thanks for everything, Jules. And uh, I'm sure... I'm grateful to Shaky for the work. <laughs> yeah, the check is in the post, Shaky. Yep. Not, no, <laughs> not. Shane, it's not. No. <laughs> oh, we'll be all right. Okay, thanks very much, Jules. I will speak with you very soon. Many thanks for listening to this week's show. We have had a dramatic update since the podcast was recorded earlier on, the confirmation going out from MSVR that Andrew Irwin has been disqualified from round three of the British Superbike Championship at Donington Park for his part in that collision with Josh Brooks, causing a very dangerous moment there down through Hollywood at the top of the Craner Curbs. A docking of championship points, disqualification from the race, and a back-of-the-grid penalty for the next round, round four, at Snetterton in two weeks time i think it's fair to say andrew Werin does have previous doesn't he and i think i would imagine that is one of the main reasons that Stuart higgs and roger marshall and the people involved in making that decision have uh, given him that rather draconian penalty but you have to say it was a very very hard move as james hayden said it was extremely dangerous and when you consider that irwin's been involved in incidents before with scott redding last year at silverstone with scott redding famously of course at uh, cadwell park and also contact with Peter Hickman and Scott Redding at Thruxton. And that's on top, of course, of the incident we saw at Snetterton a couple of years ago. All of these would have been taken into account, of course, when that decision was made. So it's unfortunate in some ways for Andrew Wareham because he's a lovely guy and he's had a great weekend. But at the same time, I think the organisers have sent out a very clear message there because if one rider starts to be that aggressive, it's almost going to force everybody else to have to be that aggressive and that is a very very dangerous situation indeed that's not just my opinion i've spent the evening chatting with a few different people including james whitam and as we know james hayden of course on the podcast earlier on many thanks then to james hayden special thanks as well to jonathan ray for sparing us the time earlier on and in particular from my point of view to julian Ryder, not just for the podcast but for the commentary duties as well as we talk through portamao world superbikes over the weekend. Please subscribe if you haven't already to Full Throttle. We're available, as I'm sure you know by now, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all other good podcast suppliers, and the Eurosport website as well. I think I'm going to be saying this in my sleep by the end of the year. And we will be back very soon. Remember, we've got a weekend off now in terms of Superbike action, but then we'll have Snetterton for the Bennett's British Superbike Championship. Straight after that, Aragon round of World Superbikes, and then the Tellwell round of World Superbikes at the same Motorland Aragon circuit. 
Also this weekend, we've had double success for Cameron Bobier on the Yamaha, who continues his dominant 2020 Moto America season. You can see highlights of that on Eurosport and also on the Eurosport player. Cameron Bobier has extended his championship lead over Jake Gagne. And one more final shout out to Brad Binder. What an absolutely remarkable series of events. You just can't grip MotoGP, can you? Especially not in 2020. So, whether your name is Irwin, Bridewell, Binder, Ray or Bobier, seems like most of them start with a B, doesn't it? It's been a great weekend in so many ways for motorcycle racing and some positivity in what, of course, continues to be a very, very difficult year for all of us. Many thanks from me, Greg Haynes. Stay safe and we'll speak to you soon.